0: Um, if I'm shouting, oh, okay, okay. okay. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, right, It's the danger of, of saying hi, getting your attention back. Let's continue those conversations later. We've got, we got all day. Um, if I end up shouting or something like that, or you call me later and I ignore you, it's because I can't hear out of my right ear right now, and so everything's like weird right now. I'm like out of sync, and so just, just keep that in mind if I, if I shout at you, but... Uh, it's good to see everyone. I just want to say a quick uh, warm welcome to everyone who's, who's, this is the first time that you're at a Kingsway event. Some, someone told me to move forward, someone said, oh, you're telling me, okay. Right, I'm getting different, okay, hi. Um, warm welcome to everyone who's, um, this is your first Kingsway event, All right, maybe you came to Sundays, but this is the first time you've stepped out of the Sunday service and you've joined us for something else. I'm really excited that you're here, if, if that's you, okay, I don't, I'm not going to make you stand up, but can we put our hands together for people like that? Uh, but also, if this is your first time at anything Kingsway related, uh, we are especially excited that you're here with us. And so let's put our hands together for everyone who falls into that category. Um, I think Peter said this before, but this was a long time coming. Um, Kingsway we planted at the start of 2021, technically at the end of 2020, but you know, we, we spent most of that year not being able to see each other face to face. And we're so excited to have our first ever you know, Kingsway Away retreat at the end of 2021. Um, and that, you know, didn't happen because of COVID and, you know, this and that happened. But thanks to events team, we were able to shuffle and we're here today. And so this was, is, is, we're really excited about this. I hope you're excited about this. Yes. All right. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. I don't know. All right. Well, I'm excited about this. Um, this beautiful. The venue's beautiful. The food, I'm sure, is going to be beautiful. We've got an amazing uh, speaker, which we'll introduce in a moment. Um, and the weather is a little unfortunate. Um, I don't know. I've never seen 100% rain forecasts. I don't know. I looked at the weather forecast yesterday. It was like 100% rain, and that was a little little sad. But, um, you know, at least we're indoors, you know, with good people. It's a little cozy. You know, where else would you be? Uh, you'd be stuck at home, right? And so, you know, it's, it's nice that we're here today. Um, together and you know my hope for you today is that uh, each of us will be refreshed you know as we sit under God's word and reminded of you know the kingdom of God we're comforted and challenged as we eat awesome food I'm really excited I'm looking forward to the food the food better be good Um, and as you meet new friends or we hang out with some old ones you know I hope each of us are refreshed you know in our spiritual life today. And there's a lot of teams that made today possible. And so can we just thank them quickly? Events team uh, did a lot of the heavy lifting to make this happen. Um, praise team. Can we thank praise team who picked up all this equipment and hired it? Media team over there. Um, design team, we've got merchandise. Kingsway merchandise for the first time. We're excited about that. Um, outside right now, we've got Kings Kids volunteers, including Sarah, who's teaching at the moment. Um, Daniel's presiding. uh, Okay, yeah. Um, And last but not least, uh, we've got an amazing guest speaker and his wife, Kathy, here. So, can we invite Al and Kathy up to the front at this time? just to um, get to know Al and Kathy a little bit before you know Al speaks for us today, I've got some intro questions. I've been told I could, I've got three questions, and so it's not that much, but I'll, I'll try. So the first question, um, Al and Kathy, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, do you have kids, when did you get married, how did you meet, who liked who first, you know, just, I'm shoving it all into that one question, because um, I've only got three. Just, just a simple
1: question. Oh, can you hear me? Yep. yep. Just a simple question. (laughs) Um, Well, I am, I guess you start from here, I'm second generation Papua New Guinean Chinese. (laughs) But born born here, uh, born in New Guinea, uh, but came here to Australia when I was about 11 for school. Yep, and stayed on. Yep. Uh, What were the other questions? (laughs) Um,
0: How'd you meet? Who'd like to first? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. okay.
1: Uh, How did we meet? Okay, and we met, met at university, um, final year of marketing, thankfully, nearly finished, so that was good. Um, uh, yeah. I became Christians at university. Became Christians at university. I think Paul's going to ask something okay. else. Yeah. <laughs> How many kids? Four kids uh, from currently now aged, from age 30 to 38. Uh, two grandchildren, uh, three grandchildren, um, three months. 9, and 11. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. Wow. Did you say 30 to 38?
1: Yeah, yep. 30 to 38. Ah, it's like, <laughs> Probably all your ages, right? That's yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> older than half, half of the people here, maybe. Um, that's awesome. Um, can I ask the second question? What, what first brought you to church, or did you grow up in church, and what made you decide to follow Jesus? <laughs>
1: um, uh, I was brought up going to Methodist Church in New Guinea. My parents went to church um, and... Uh, then when I went to boarding school, I was, in, I was at a church school, which I hated, um, but when I went to university, even though I vowed I wouldn't go to church ever in my life again, um, some girls met up with me from Student Life or Campus Crusade for Christ, and they shared um, the four spiritual laws with me, and um, I became a Christian through that, yeah, and they followed me up after that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: That was before you you were dating? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So I became a Christian in first year university and um, I didn't meet Al till third year. Oh,
2: okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I grew up in a country town. Um, are we recording this? Not this part. We are. Okay, just right Good. I wonder if we're recording it. Am I speaking to the world or it's all right? Uh <laughs> uh, my mum, as a, as a kid, my mum took me along to a, a little Presbyterian church in Grafton and uh, I couldn't wait to escape. Uh, left the country town, came down here to study at New South Wales University and in the kindness of God, he put me in a residential college in a room beside another young guy who was a Christian. Was the first Christian I met who was my age. His name's Bryson Smith. Uh, he's quite a well-known Presbyterian minister now. And it was the quality of his life over two years that made me listen when he invited me to hear the Bible talk. And so he would take me along to campus Bible study and hear a man called Philip Jensen teach the Bible. And it was about two years, I'm a slow learner, but about two years after that God, God switched the lights on. I can even remember the Bible passage, um, the first time that the Bible ever, the lights went on. So that was, um, it was a long time ago now, 1979, 42 years. Uh, and then... Um, Eight or nine months later, I met St. Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's a beautiful
0: story. Thanks for sharing that, uh, those stories. Uh, the third question is, I would love to get to know you better through the day. We're all going to go speak with Al and Kathy because we're such a welcoming church. Um, what hobbies or interests do you have so that you know, maybe we can ask you about them more later on?
1: Food, food is my hobby. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love eating food. Uh, I like cooking food. Um, I love having people over. Um, yeah. Cooking shows. Group. Yeah, watch cooking oh, yeah, shows.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Any particular, like, cuisine or...?
1: No, anything. Anything. Yeah, try anything. Yeah. Well, what's your what's f-
0: favourite dish that um, you cook that Al-, Al likes the most?
1: Here's your meat and three veg. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily
2: three veg, but just... Medium to me. rare T-bone steak, uh. with
1: yeah. yeah. Yes. It's yeah. yeah. You, can, you can take
2: the boy out of
0: the bush, but you can't take the bush out of the boy. Nice, <laughs> nice. nice. A- anything uh, else? Anything.
1: Um, I just regular exercise. Um, yep. Try and swim or gym or walk. Yeah. Walk with someone. Nice, mm-hmm. nice. Great. Thank you for
2: that. Uh, let's see. I try and keep you know, a lot of exercise. Try and keep the brain clear. Uh, I get up early each morning and kind of uh, really early because I just, yep, and then I'm like in ninja mode, just this dark shadow across so I don't dark. wake up, Cathy. Uh, and then we we just bought an old farmhouse and a few acres of, of bush down near Marulan on the halfway between us and Canberra where our daughter lives and so on a day off now, we get to go down there and I get to pretend I'm a farmer and, and have a ride on lawnmower and play with a chainsaw and all sorts of fun stuff like that. So that's, that's what I love to do. It's like your ch- and it's at the end of the chainsaw thing, I count, OK, all arms and legs in place and it's a great day.
0: Sounds like the, the, your childhood dreams are being lived out now in the, on the farm. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, everyone knows I'm just pretending, but it's still fun. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh,
0: Well, well, this is a uh, fourth question, which I'm not allowed, but Al, you're the National Director of FIC, which is the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches, which happens to be the Fellowship Kingsway is a part of, Um, what a coincidence, Um, that's that's why we invited Al, but um, maybe for us, you can explain what is FIC, what's your role in it, and How should Kingsway uh, think or feel or do about, you know, being a part of FIEC?
2: Yeah, well, FIEC, what is it? Well, you're sitting in it, okay? Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches. So it's 54 churches around the country, about, I don't know, maybe seven or eight in Queensland, maybe 25 in New South Wales, eight or nine in Victoria, two or three in Tassie, um, and two or three in um, WA. Uh, why together, independent, FIC can't, doesn't tell the churches what to do, it doesn't tell the pastors who to hire, it doesn't have any line authority. The idea is that we work together to do more than we can individually. So, for example, there were five church plants started about the time COVID started. Uh, the jewel in the crown is, of course, Kingsway. Uh, um, and so... I was at Risen Church last week, I told them that too. <laughs> I told them the king's way was a jewel in the crown. I mean, yeah. uh, but those five churches have not just survived but thrived in the kindness of God. And FIS is about helping each church work together. So uh, there's about four more church plants on the horizon that will that will work together. We um, we employ a uh, couple of um, chaplains who work with the leadership of the churches and their families to look after them. We'll share intellectual property. Um, Now I don't know anything much, but I know a lot of people who know a lot of things. So when a pastor rings up and says, I need help with whatever it is, have you got a a draft constitution that we could have? Um, When COVID started and the job seeker thing was on, how did that work? We had a Zoom meeting for treasurers and pastors and the business manager at one of our biggest churches walked them through how to do it. In Victoria, the the transgender, legislation that's come in saying you're not even allowed to pray about that with people. How do our eight or nine churches down there negotiate that? What are the rules? What does it look like? Well, FIAC together, will get a policy drafted up and help. And by the way, that's probably coming to New South Wales soon. So it's the idea of working together. Uh, and then one of the, the smallest things is uh, pastors in FIAC can be marriage celebrants. That's the kind of thing. And then each church kicks in 2% of their payroll and uh, that uh, employs myself, Dean Ingham who's our operations manager who really is the brains of the operation uh, and we've got a couple of part-time chaplains and also Ruth Sheath who's building a, a network for the wives of pastors, etc. So So there you go, that's FIEC.
0: Um, yeah, I really benefited especially as we were... Um, coming out of lockdown and trying to figure out you know, what we should do when I think the government said only vaccinated people can come to church. And trying to wrap my head around that I uh, was really helpful to be a part of FIC. Uh, we had Zoom meetings where you know, people much smarter than me were discussing it and I was listening and taking notes. But, yeah, that was really awesome. Uh, but, yeah, can we put our hands together one more time for Al and Kathy? Uh, so Al at this time, uh, in a moment. Al, um, oh, you can sit for a moment, sorry. Ali in a moment is going to uh, unpack God's word for us, um, but uh, yeah, I think I told this story before. But we, I went to an FIC conference recently. We was in Queensland, and um, on the on the Uber back to the airport, um, I was talking with a bunch of pastors, and the, and I was talking about this conference and how Al's coming, um, and they were like, "How did you get Al?" We asked him. He's so busy, and I was like, "Oh, I, you didn't know, see." <laughs> He was really keen for us. He's like, oh, you're so lucky that you get Al. You know, he, he says no to us. We asked him in advance. And so we're super lucky you know, to have Al and Kathy here with us. I, I just want us, wanted us to know that. Um, yeah, so Al's going to open up God's Word today. Um, if you have any questions through you know, any of the three sessions, um, Daniel has set up Church Centre. So if you have the Church Centre app, on the fourth kind of tab, most right, uh, it will link you to a Q&A page. And so if you have any questions throughout any sessions, open your Church Centre app. The fourth tab on the bottom right, click that. It'll launch you to the fifth one or something. The, the, the most right one. It'll launch you to a Q&A page. Write your questions there. And right at the end of today, we'll have a session of Q&A. Um, was there anything else I need to say? Um, there will be merch for morning tea, afternoon tea. You can buy it later. Oh, and the timetable is also available on Show Centre. Um, They did some wizardry there, so it's all all up there. Okay, I want to invite uh, Daniel, uh, Pastor Daniel, to come. He's going to read God's Word for us, and then Al uh, will will speak for us.
3: All right, good morning, everyone. Um, Let's open up God's Word to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 11... Cool. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Yep, could I get a nod when everyone's there? Yep, seek. All right. Let me read uh, from God's Word. I read from the English uh, Standard Version. Thanks, Pete. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. When he said, The voice of one car- a crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, and make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair, and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, and all Judea, and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But, When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham.
2: Side, can I do that without being the kangaroo in the headlights? Okay, thanks, mate. And that camera might need to be adjusted if you. Alright, well, while we get adjusted here, I want to say I don't know if I've ever spoken to a church that's been as organised as this beforehand. So well done to everyone who who uh, got this all organised. Who walked in with a little care package as well. Brilliantly done. Now today I've been asked to give three talks. So you've got to listen to me for a while. The first one's the longest, okay, and the, and probably the most to wrap your head around. Next one's middle, yeah, middle length, and the last one is fairly short because I know by the time you get to three. The screensaver will have gone on in your heads for some of you. Okay, so it's a bit like the three bears. Yeah, all right, very good. Okay, here we go. A while ago, uh, at our, when we lived in, in Matraville uh, near Botany, I was running a, a, a Christianity Explained course for people who'd uh, been contacts. Contacted uh, through the university, and one of the one of the people who came along was a was a man from Mongolia, and his name was Otgon, and he really had had no uh, exposure to Christianity at all. And I realised how little exposure he'd had as we're reading Luke's gospel, and he said, um, "What is crucified? What does that mean?" And I thought, whoa, we're starting with a clean slate here." Right. Um, okay, so we're reading Luke's gospel, and we get to the uh, the, um, okay, here we go. Uh, we get to the point where uh, the three Jesus and the two thieves are on the cross, and Jesus spe- or the, the thief speaks to Jesus. Now, here's a um, here's a or a freeze or a, a, a um, relief from a church in um, Melbourne about that. And so you see, there's the three Jesus and the two thieves, and you see the caption that says Jesus speaks to the good thief. Can anyone work out what's wrong with that? He wasn't good. He was a thief, okay? And all the point is that he gets forgiven. And so what does he say to Jesus? Well, he says, Jesus, uh, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I've said to this man from Mongolia, I'm thinking, I wonder how he knew uh, about Jesus and the kingdom, etc. Maybe he'd... uh, you know, seen Jesus do a miracle, heard Jesus teach or whatever. And then this man who's seeing it fresh for the first time said, maybe, maybe he read the sign. And I thought, yeah, of course. Because um, do you remember above Jesus' head, is this thing going to work? Was a sign that said, do you want to just hit the button? I don't know why these things, was a sign that said there was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. Right. Now, that's, that's interesting isn't it? look at the sign and see that. Here's a question I want to ask you. Right. Let's go, I'll give you a nod each time. Okay. All right. Let's go back to that thing. What, what is it that he says to Jesus, the, the thief on the cross? He doesn't say to Jesus, Jesus, can you take me to heaven? He doesn't say, Jesus, can you forgive me? What is it that he says? Yeah. Okay. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And when you read that for the first time, here's what I want to ask. Why is it that this man who's, well, they translate it as, a, as the word thief, Lysertes, it could be terrorist, it could be freedom fighter, whatever. Why is it that he comes to think of Jesus as a king with a kingdom? And why did Pontius Pilate put that sign up, meaning to mock Jesus? Why does he think about the king of the Jews? Why is that what he's expecting? Okay, that's the first question we're going to answer. The next one's this. In the Gospels, um, Jesus does amazing things, right? He, you know, he, he heals people, he feeds a crowd of 5,000 with a few loaves of bread, he, he opens the eyes of the blind, etc. And yet, the religious leaders of the day are always asking him for more. So, um, in Matthew chapter 16, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Or John chapter 6, verse 30, so they asked him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? You kind of think, listen, he, he opens the eyes of the blind. He, you know, he, he um, feeds a crowd of 5,000. Why is that not enough? Now, I know they're hard-hearted and I know it's based in unbelief, but what is it they were actually expecting? One last question. Even John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, has second thoughts about him. So um, here's what, this is surprising that they record this, surprising that John has second thoughts. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, meaning heard about Jesus, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Why? Why does John have second thoughts about Jesus? So there you go. There's a whole lot of questions we're going to answer. Where did the idea of the kingdom come from? Why is it that Jesus' miracles were never enough for the religious leaders? Why does even John have second thoughts? And here's the biggest question of all, what's it got to do with us? Strap yourself in, 20 minutes, everything will be answered. Here's what i to tell you today. The theme of the kingdom of God, or in Matthew's gospel referred to as the kingdom of heaven. Why? Exactly the same thing, just that Matthew's written for a more Jewish audience. They are more likely to use the word heaven rather than directly use the name of God. The kingdom of God is the theme, I think, that holds the whole of the Bible or the Scriptures together. Now, here's a great book, um, uh, Vaughan Roberts, God's Big Picture: The Storyline of the Bible. He says this about the kingdom of God. Okay, God wants to bring people. Uh, so, God wants to bring back people to Himself who willingly submit to His rule. That is what is meant by the kingdom of God—not the area where He rules, for He rules everywhere, but the sphere where His rule is gladly accepted. So, kingdom of God is not a place you can go to. It's about the rule of God in the hearts of His people um, through His King. Excellent book, great to read, etc. Except now, I'm going to say, with all of the humility that I can muster, which is quite a lot, okay. Um, I'm a humble man with a lot to be humble about, just ask my wife. It's not a complete definition. Because what I want to push you today is this, when you understand the kingdom of God, it'll change the way that you see the whole world, your life, reality, everything. Here's another quote that's more complete, if you like. So Bourne Roberts, smarter than me, great book. Um, I humbly suggest this this is a more complete definition. Here it is. George Eldon Ladd wrote this book, The Presence of the Future in the 1970s. It's a brilliant book. Um, I think he, uh, Mr. Professor Ladd's gone to be with the Lord now. But here it is, he says this, the kingdom of God must not be understood as merely the salvation of certain individuals, right, or even as the reign of God in the hearts of people. No, it's not just that. It means nothing less than the reign of God over his entire created universe. The kingdom of God means that God is kind and acts in history to bring history to a divinely directed goal. The kingdom of God is about not just God drawing people to himself, but the recreation of the whole universe, of God's new creation and where that's going. So what we're going to do today, we're going to have a look at, uh, here we go. Three talks, Right, The king promised, the king in conflict, and the king returns, all right? Okay, so let's have a look. Where does, it, where does this idea of the kingdom of God come from? Well, it's right, when you, when you start reading the Bible and looking for it, and I, I have to give these talks at an FIC conference. Actually, I prepared them in, tw- in um, 2021. I prepared them in 2022, uh, COVID, COVID. I'm going to give them again, Okay. When you start looking for the kingdom of God in the scriptures, it's everywhere. So the Old Testament talks about um, uh, God as king. All right? So here we go. The Psalms are full of it. I'm going to read Psalm 145. See if you can count how many times kingdom is mentioned. Can you guys see the screen from where you are? Yeah? Okay. Here we go. Psalm 145, all your works praise you Lord, your faithful people extol you, they tell of the glory of your kingdom, and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts, and the glorious splendour of your kingdom, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations, I think it's four times plus dominion, okay, so it's, it's there, um, uh, or, um, uh, Psalm 109. Okay. Uh, sorry, Psalm 103. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. So, the way the Old Testament thinks of the God of Israel is that he is the king over the nation. In fact, the king over all creation. Uh, and that really matters. Why? Because he's a just king and he one day will bring justice and will punish evil and reward his people. And that means more and more. As you ruin as you, Israel's in really dark times, the kingdom of God means more and more. So the book of Daniel is written when Israel's in exile in Babylon. And Daniel has, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has that dream of the great statue and the four kingdoms. And what happens at the end? A stone cut without hands by the God of all the earth will, what, set up a kingdom. And the kingdom of God will come and God will reign over all. You may think, OK, well, that makes sense, especially if you're a Bible reader. But that is a very different world view to so many other cultures. So, for example, I'll just pick one. Um, in, the, um, uh, in the Greek culture, see, in the Bible, the idea is that, that the world and creation and time moves towards a goal. In the ancient Greek culture, it was different. So... Um, The Greeks had what might be called a cyclical view of history. Things occur in endless cycles so that what is happening today will someday be repeated on the basis of such a view it's impossible to find any real meaning in history. So I think the Stoics believe it was every 5,000 years it all repeated. So you guys have heard these talks before, okay? Um, And uh, I'm going to keep giving them because in 5,000 years we'll do it again and again and it's very hard to find meaning or purpose. It's very hard to believe in progress. It all just goes in a big circle. That's not the way the Bible thinks. Uh, the Bible thinks about history moving towards a goal, and that goal is the kingdom of God. All right, and so what do you get in, um, in the Old Testament is the promise of a king. Let's see, the promised king. And that, that promise comes in two ways. Uh, let's see, okay. First king, if I lose you here now, don't worry, we'll come back in just a moment. But the Old Testament promises one day there'll be a king, another king like the great king David, a son of David who would come and kind of reign on his throne on this earth. So the idea is you get um, what they talk about as the Davidic king. 2 Samuel chapter 7, God says one of David's descendants will reign on David's throne forever. So that's one kind of... Theme in the Old Testament. The other one um, is the idea of almost like a a new creation idea. And if you've heard Jesus talk about himself as the Son of Man, it's a quote out of Daniel, where there's a kind of this apocalyptic picture of someone who comes in the clouds and will rule over a new creation, etc., forever. Um, and that's the idea of um, kind of so you've got the David. The David theme and then this son of man apocalyptic theme. Uh-huh. And with all of that is a promise that one day God would bring the judgment day or the day of the Lord. And um, here we go. All right. Now, you get, uh, let me show you, the day of the Lord. This idea of God promises in the Old Testament one day he'll recreate the heavens and the earth and bring the judgment day. Um, So Isaiah chapter 51 lift up your eyes to the heavens look at the earth beneath the heavens will vanish like smoke the earth will wear out like a garment and its inhabitants die like flies but my salvation will last forever my righteousness will never fail. That's that's a promise that the Old Testament one day God will bring a new creation um, a new heavens and a new earth okay now. When Jesus is born, or as Jesus is born and his birth is announced, they talk of Jesus being the son of David or reigning on David's throne. Okay, But when the religious leaders come to him as potentially the Messiah, when what they're asking for um, isn't these, if you like, little miracles of healing someone. They are wanting the new heavens and the new earth sign. So they're saying, what sign do you show us from heaven? Okay. Um, uh, that, that you're the Messiah. They want the whole kind of tsunami, of God to tear the heavens open, etc. And so what Jesus does is actually never enough for them. That's why they keep on saying, "Show us a sign from heaven." They're waiting for the the new creation, and Jesus is saying, "I don't know." Jesus has a different agenda. Now it's that that John the Baptist is expecting. So let me explain to you now why John the Baptist has second thoughts. John the Baptist turns up. Uh, he's Jesus' cousin. He's six months old because Elizabeth and Mary are, are cousins. Um, he's six months older than Jesus. And then we're told, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. There it is, kingdom of heaven. Okay, so it's coming. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So John's promise, Isaiah 40, he would come and prepare the way. Interesting, in Isaiah 40, it's prepare the way for God himself to turn up. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. And anyone remember an Old Testament character who um, wore uh, clothes uh, made of camel's hair and a leather belt? Anyone? Starts with E, ends in Ija. Anyone? Well done, Katie. Well done. Okay. They, they'll get used to me. Okay. All right. Why is that important? I'll tell you why. Because God promises before he turns up to bring the judgment day, God would send Elijah to call people back and to get ready you know, to people to repent. Now, what's John's message? Verse 11, we're told John says this, I baptise you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. What's John's message? the end is coming, the judgment day is here, the Messiah will bring that, okay? And and the idea of the winnowing fork, you know, you've got all the grain and the chaff, they, they throw it in the air with the fork and the wind blows the chaff away and the grain drops down. It's a way of separating out the good stuff from the rubbish. And he's saying those who believe, those who are God's people will be baptised with the spirit, those who aren't believers will be baptised with fire. That's the, uh, Okay. And he points to Jesus as the one. And then he has second thoughts. Why? Why does he have second thoughts? Huh? He has second right, Go back. You're nailing it. I'm, I'm just going to put that away. Stop getting in your way. Okay. I'll tell you why. Because John is arrested. Now, here's one of the things I like. I love history. How many of you guys have heard of Josephus? No, yet yeah, one. Anyone going? Come on, come on, don't be cool. Just nod if you've heard of Josephus. <laughs> 1 2 and everyone's Jose- in. okay, righto. You get 5 minutes on because you didn't say yes. You get you get 3 minutes on Josephus. Josephus was a um, an aristocratic Jewish man who fought in the great wars against Rome. Um, in the like about the 70 about 70 AD. The Jews rebelled, the Romans came in, destroyed Jerusalem, spread the Jewish people out all over the empire, etc. Josephus gets captured, but he tells Vespasian, the emperor, who, the, the general who captures him, that one day Vespasian will be emperor. And Vespasian says, oh, I like this guy. So Josephus ends up working for the Romans, and he writes a huge, long history of the, the history of the Jewish people. And a lot of what he writes is about the first century, and in many of the events that he talks about, they dovetail in with the New Testament. So he writes about Annas and Caiaphas and Pontius Pilate and Herod. And, and it's, another, it's one way of verifying or, or saying, yeah, the New Testament is actually history. Now, one of the events that jumps out is this, that King Herod arrested John the Baptist. Because, well, Josephus gives us the political aspect The New Testament tells us that John the Baptist said Herod shouldn't have um, taken his brother's wife and committed adultery with her. But here's what Josephus says. Herod, who feared lest the great influence John had over the people might put it into his power and inclination to raise a rebellion, for they seemed ready to do anything he should advise. Accordingly, he, John, was sent a prisoner out of Herod's suspicious temper to Machaerus, the castle I before mentioned and John was executed there. Now Machaerus is here. Today you can go there as a tourist. Um, It's near the Dead Sea. Did you get to go there? Not quite to Machaerus, but near there. Yeah, Cathy's been near there. Anyone been there? Machaerus, yep, no? Okay, you can go there as a tourist. Uh, Here's what it looks like. Doesn't look like there's a lot of action there at the moment. We've got another couple of photos. Things look pretty quiet. Okay, but if you want to kind of uh, Dud Holiday, you can go there. Anyway, uh, you, <laughs> but you can go there. All right? They're just off Google. Okay. All right. Sorry, we're recording this too, aren't we? Okay. All right. Now, John's in prison. What's John expecting the Messiah to do? Well, he's going to bring the judgment day. He's going to sort it all out. You know, He's going to tear the heavens open and, and there'll be fire and there'll be etc. And so what we're told in chapter 11, verse 2, when John who was in prison heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Now, can you, can you feel the pain in those words? And you know what, sometimes some of us who follow the Messiah may not, life may not work out the way that we're expecting. And so John's expecting this kind of apocalyptic thing to happen. And what's Jesus doing? Well, Jesus is out there preaching about love your neighbour and do good to people and healing blind men and lepers and feeding crowds and etc. And John says, like, are you really the one? Where, where's, the, where's the tsunami, the apocalypse thing, the etc? And Jesus is very gentle in his answer. Here we go, Jesus' answer. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Now, that's exact. Jesus had probably had his quiet time in Isaiah chapter 35 that morning, because that's exactly the quote out of Isaiah chapter 35. When God comes to rescue his people, they are the things that will happen. The deaf will hear, the the lepers will be cleansed, the lame will walk, and notice the good news. That that's the gospel word. The gospel is preached to the poor. and you notice what Jesus says at the end? Blessed is anyone who doesn't stumble on account of me. The stumble word, um, scan scandal the idea. That's where we get the word scandal. If it, it don't be offended by me, John. Don't stumble over me. Don't give up or fall away over me. In other words, he's saying, trust me, John. I've I've got it, I've got it, don't give up. Now, Jesus is actually asking quite a lot of John. Uh-huh. He's saying, trust me, even though it's, it's not what you expect. It's not what you expect, trust me. Because, what's the next slide, please? Ah, there we go. Um, it just didn't fit what they were expecting in the first century. It's there in the Old Testament, but they just hadn't read it the right way. Um, Professor Ladd says this the Jews expected the kingdom to be like a great tree under which the nations would find shelter how could the coming glorious kingdom have anything to do with the poor little band of Jesus disciples next one rejected by the religious leaders welcomed by tax collectors and sinners Jesus looked more like a deluded dreamer than the bearer of the kingdom of God Jesus answer is first the tiny seed later the large tree Now, see, what John hadn't understood is the way the kingdom of God would start, it would start tiny, small. In fact, there's that beautiful scene in the end of John's Gospel where Jesus turns up and they're fishing and Jesus got fish on the the fire and and there's only Jesus and seven disciples. And he basically says, let's go, guys, we're going to change the world. And so that's why Jesus tells, if you keep reading Matthew's Gospel, that's why Jesus tells those parables that you've probably heard, the one about the mustard seed. Okay, let's have a look. This is to explain to them what the kingdom of God will actually look like. It's not going to arrive like a tsunami at at first. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Tiniest of seeds. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Okay, so we'll just go back. There's, there's your mustard seed, okay? Right. Um, and then that's a mustard seed plant there with the man kind of, it, it's huge. You get the point. It'll start really small and it'll be huge. Or the next one, when, when it does grow, if you can see it, if you can see it, it'll be precious. And that's why he tells this one, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure <clears throat> hidden in a field. When a man found it, He hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. See what he's saying? It'll be hidden for some people, but boy, when you can see it, it'll be the most precious thing of all. Um, You know, sometimes there can be something really precious and you just don't get it or see it. Here's an example I found in the paper uh, this year. That little um, drawing, that little sketch is called um, The Virgin and Child with a Flower on a Grassy Bench. Uh, Probably needs a bit of a touch up with the marketing name, don't you think? But anyway, that's, well, I guess that's what it is a virgin and child. Okay. Now, there's a man in the USA, Uh, when was this? This was um, uh, earlier this year. Uh, he bought this, he bought a jade necklace for a dollar and he bought this drawing for $30 from a kind of antique shop. took it home. He said, In 2016, a man picked up two items at an estate in Concord, Massachusetts a fake jade necklace for a dollar and a small drawing, a virgin child, it said, for $30. Last week, a panel of experts at the British Museum in London delivered a stunning answer. The artwork titled The Virgin and Child with Flower" ..was an undiscovered drawing by Albrecht Durer, a renowned German artist born in 1471 and is worth tens of millions of dollars. Uh, My guess is he probably thinks that's fairly precious and he's taken it out of the garage and, you know, he's, he's looking after it. And all of a sudden it's gone from, yeah, yeah, $30 to the most precious thing that he owns. Can you see the kingdom of God? Can you see God at work in our world? In fact, the rest of the New Testament talks about becoming a Christian is actually to leave one kingdom and to come into another kingdom. So here we go in Colossians. What does the Apostle Paul say? He says to these people who have become Christians, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. I'll talk about that in the second talk, right? the, the evil kingdom. And brought us into what? Into the kingdom of the son he loves. The Bible talks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of the son. Okay? All right? In whom we have redemption, the idea of being brought back to God, redeemed, and the forgiveness of sins. To become a Christian is to leave one kingdom after morning tea, but to come into the kingdom of the son that he loves. And so what's Jesus saying? the kingdom of God will it'll start small right? it'll start small you there was a time when you could have fitted the kingdom of God into a Tarago okay and yet one day it'll it'll be huge it'll fill the world when um, when Jesus returns third talk we'll find out about that okay now what does it all mean? Let me pull a few threads together uh, I've got a couple of friends uh, who, who a little bit older than me, uh, well, he's 70-something now, this man, and he's only been a Christian about three or four years. And we meet each week uh, and read the Bible, and he asks hard, good, hard questions. And the one he asks again and again is this. He says, what is God doing in our world? Uh-huh. The world seems out of control in so many ways. He says, if God was the CEO of a company, we would sack him. What's he doing in our world? Huh? You know, Ukraine and climate change and corruption and blah, blah, blah. And I try and say, mate, just settle. Maybe God has a different agenda to us. And maybe God is at work in ways you have to actually have the eyes to see what he's doing. But the mustard seed has grown. Let me show you. This book by Rodney Stark. Now, Rodney Stark is... Um, I think he still is, a a professor at Baylor University in Texas. And he's a really fun guy. Um, Probably just needs a new photo, I guess. But um, (laughs) uh, the book, The Triumph of Faith, uh, it is basically a book of statistics about faith. Statistically, some of you will like statistics. And so if you do like statistics, you'll love this. If you don't, let me give you the summary. Basically what it is, the Gallup Poll organisation runs surveys in 160 countries around the world. Um, Unfortunately, the Chinese government won't let them into China, so that's a pretty big gap. But other than that, 160 countries across the world, and they ask lots of different social type questions, and they ask questions about religion and religious commitment. Across the world, they estimate, and this is leaving China out, that there are, there's 2.2 billion people say, yeah, I'm a Christian. 2.2 billion. You think, yeah, well, who knows what that means because 51% of Australians still say they're Christian and we know that that, you know, that doesn't mean that much. So, what, okay, so, so to drill down, they, they ask people, have you been to a church or a place of worship in the last week? That's a pretty good litmus test. And so they found 1.16 billion people in churches around the planet week by week. All right. That's what over a thousand million people in churches every week around the globe. Now church attendance, etc, and the church and the kingdom are not the same thing. But I think there's a pretty good argument that the mustard seed, has grown and is growing. If you only look in the Western world, you don't get the picture of what is actually happening on planet Earth about people coming to know Jesus. Um, Now, here's a book that's interesting, Um, The Next Christendom by Philip Jenkins. He also is a professor of history at Baylor University in Texas. Now, this was published in 2002. I know some of you guys were in preschool then. Um, but I, I just kind of like the quote out of this book and you get the trend of what's happening, uh, so it's still relevant even 20 years later. But listen to what Professor Jenkins says, uh, in 2002 they interviewed him in the Atlantic magazine and, uh, and I'll read the quote, he says this, in the global south, the areas that we often think of primarily as the third world, <coughs> huge and growing Christian populations, currently 480 million in Latin America, 360 million in Africa, and 313 million in Asia, compared with 260 million in North America. There's been, in the last century, or even half century, massive growth in in South America, in Africa, uh, and in Asia. Or, the next quote, this one was 2015 from the Washington Post. In 1980, more Christians were found in the global south than the north for the first time in a 1,000 years. Today, the Christian community in Latin America and Africa alone account for a billion people. Uh, Christianity is growing, thriving in the the developing world. Uh, Now, what's happening in Australia I, I think nominal Christianity is just, dis- well, it is, disappearing, or has disappeared. Uh, interesting uh, book by Roy Williams. Now, Roy Williams is um, the smartest guy in the room. He was a lawyer with a major legal company, uh, became a Christian, I think, in his, in his 40s, so um, uh, kind of total worldview change. He's written a book called Post-God Nation, where he goes through and tracks what it is the factors that have led to a massive decline in nominal Christianity. I mean, people are kind of turning up at church. Um, I, think what, I think what he's saying is this, Christendom has disappeared. And what does Christendom mean? Christendom, I think, meant in the Western world in Australia that Christianity was the default religious position for people or Christianity, the Christian church, was like the assumed chaplain to the state. That's disappearing. And it may actually be a good thing that it is. Um, ironically, he lists, if you, if you want to track that down, you can read a 350-page book, or he's given a one-hour lecture called The Secular Juggernaut on, on a whole series of um, uh, factors. And he says the biggest, simply the biggest single factor in the decline of nominal, do you understand what I mean by nominal Christianity? All right. just turn up, tick the, the biggest single factor in that decline is the wealth and prosperity that we have in this country, uh, and the Western world. The great irony is that's all possible because of the Judeo-Christian worldview, but that very prosperity that that's bought has led people to walk away from God. And yet, even in Australia, even in 2022, we see people coming into the kingdom of God, people coming to know Jesus. So, there you go. There's the kingdom of God. And my question for you is, can you, can you see the treasure in the field? Can you see God at work in uh, so many different ways, calling people to know him in bringing those people together in new churches that are um, welcoming and energetic and flexible? Have you entered his kingdom? Have you come to actually know Jesus as, as Lord? So there's the questions. Can you see the kingdom... Well, I guess firstly, are you in that kingdom? Can you see the kingdom? And I suppose, I don't really have time to go into it, but it's worth thinking that sometimes God's kingdom and the way that Jesus is at work in your life won't be as you expect. It's what Jesus says to John the Baptist, isn't it? John, don't be offended because of me. Don't fall away because of me. Trust me. Hang on. I've got this. And then the other question that needs to be asked is this, and we'll come to it later. Given what God's on about in our world, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. How do you dedicate your life to seeing people come to know the lordship of Jesus and so come to know eternal life? Will you pray with me? Father, thank you that you sent the king into the world. We thank you that we've seen your kingdom grow, that countless millions of people have come to know and to love the Lord Jesus. And we ask, please, you'd you'd bring us all to know Jesus as king and ask, please, you'd give us eyes to see how precious that kingdom is and how we might seek that first. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.